0: So, Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites.
2: Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day
0: the Spanish conquered the Last Maya Kingdom.
1: Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC.
0: And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes... Every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello Man fans, Ollie Mann here with the penultimate episode of this series of The Modern Man. So do savour every moment, won't you? Uh, I am certainly savouring this moment. My lord, what pleasure is this? I am recording this week's intro bit in a car parked on my driveway in the rain. God, it's miserable in Britain in June, isn't it? Ugh. And the reason for that, I normally record it in my front room, this stuff, but um, uh, it's a bit late in the day. It's got late in the day because um, my son had some injections this morning and he's been screaming all day. So I couldn't find a moment to record where he wasn't screaming in the background, which wasn't exactly the most welcoming thing for new listeners to the show. (laughs) And he's still screaming. Don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting in a car parked on the front drive having left my my four-month-old son to his own devices. Uh, My partner is in there looking after him. Uh, but uh, I'm parked in a car. A tip from producer Matt that, if you ever run out of recording studio space... Use a car. Very good acoustics in a car. Uh, and I'm sitting here at 7 o'clock in the evening. It's a bit later in the day than normal. I've had a lot going on. Um, so sorry if you're you know you're someone who always gets the episode first thing on a Tuesday. You've had to wait till possibly Wednesday to hear this. Uh, but uh, Answer Me This is back this week as well. My other podcast, Answer Me This. Uh, AnswerMeThisPodcast.com, if you don't know what I'm on about. Uh, so I've been working on that too. Um, so I'm kind of unwinding it. Normally I do this with a, a cup of tea or coffee in my hands. I've got a beer. Uh, Here we go. This is the sound of the beer clinking on the uh, wing mirror. Is it illegal to drink in a parked car? It probably is because I'm technically in control of the vehicle, aren't I? I'm sitting in the driver's seat. Uh, But I am parked on my own private property, so I guess I probably escape uh, any serious jurisdiction there. Uh, Anyway, it's a good episode this week. Um, I sat down with two academics who know absolutely everything that there is to know about consumer psychology, how the big companies manipulate us to buy stuff. It's fascinating. You will never look at floor tiles in Tesco in the same way again. Uh, Also coming up on today's show, uh, you will learn how to powder your fleshlight. Uh, You'll learn what a power aisle is and you'll hear the phrase undetectable non-visual atmospherics. Write that one down.
2: It will make you sound clever. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man... The computers say the MacBooks, whatever, they're always at an angle. At believe of 100 degrees, you have to touch it.
0: How do Apple and John Lewis and Victoria's Secret make you buy so much?
1: I try to be very open-minded, but I do have to state on this rare occasion, you are freaking grim.
0: And a question of sex toy detritus. Finally, foxes... Alex Fox. But first, it's the section of the show my mum doesn't skip through because she doesn't know how. It's the Zeitgeist. <laughs> and as <laughs> ever, I'm joined by Ollie Pierce. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Ollie. What is the big trend of the week?
3: Ice cream van wars.
0: I'm in. I mean, if there was a Channel 5 series, it's on link already.
3: Right, this video came out. On the Lad Bible, you know
0: the Lad. I've Bible. heard of them. Yeah,
3: It's <laughs> like, let's let's go, you on the Lad Bible? It's good. It's basically that. But this video came out, and uh, basically there was two ice cream van men. Men, I don't know what
0: you call them. Ice yeah. cream van men.
3: Yeah, sounds like a ice, creamers. Yeah, ice, ice creamers. Yeah, ice creamers. There were two ice creamers, and uh, the title was "Mr. Lewis always has a go at me." He's in his van, yeah. and Mr. Lewis drives towards him, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing on my patch? <laughs> fuck off!" Leave me alone. Right. Words to that effect. Yes. Sorry for swearing so much, but I just want to go no, no, i it. the I'm Very thing.
0: much getting across a sense of the character of this ice area. Yeah. For,
3: uh, so, and I thought, God, no, this can't happen very often. So I thought, well, I'll go to Ollie and I'll chat a little bit about ice cream and link it into that story a bit. Uh, fascinating ice cream beneath the
0: magician's cloth. There. <laughs> <laughs> How this material is seamlessly weaved. Yeah.
3: It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically ice cream van wars in the UK is a really big thing because there's such a small window. Of opportunity because of our horrendous weather. Yeah. Ice cream van men get very protective over their territory. And there is a certain code of conduct. And if you go outside of that, you fucking watch yourself, mate, because you are going to get it.
0: <laughs> well, there, there there definitely is turf, isn't there, that belongs to the different uh, companies. But I presume that you apply for that through the council. There must be a process.
3: There's some streets which are restricted, right? Uh-huh. But you can go up to a street and you can sell for like a maximum of 15 minutes. So it's not like, I don't think you need a particular license for a location. Although uh-huh. if you are an ice cream van man... Please let us know if that is true. I haven't got into that guy. There's before.
0: definitely an ice cream van that's almost permanently stationed in Crystal Palace Park. So I reckon there's no way that he's doing 15 minutes and then scuppering when the coppers go. <laughs> no,
3: no. Do you want to know another rule about ice cream vans? And I've never known one to adhere to this, right? You know their tune...
0: Uh, da, 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 da.
3: Well, I mean, there, that was The arches.
0: No, that was girls and boys <laughs> yes, come it, out to play. It
3: sounded yeah. like The arches. <laughs> it did a bit. It, it can't be louder than 80 decibels, yeah. and they can't play it for longer than four seconds at a time. That is bullshit. They yeah, obviously they always, do. Yeah, they always, yeah. I hear them all the time.
0: Yeah, the one near me plays High Diddly D from Pinocchio, which I think needs updating. I mean, I'm pleased to hear it, but I'm a Disney freak. I reckon most people born in the 80s wouldn't remember that. Certainly not kids today. How's it going? da 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 <laughs>
3: What should they have today then? For modern I don't know. Oh, any Justin Bieber teams. or something. Da, 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 da. That's a Justin Bieber song. Isn't is it?
0: it? Sounded just like the arches.
3: So just look out for ice cream van men on a turf wall, you know.
0: I mean I'm sure it's a thing. I'll it tell is you, a thing. Yeah. It's yeah. a thing. Sure. I'll tell you what is a thing. Go on. The floating Yoda wars. That's a real thing as well. In, outside Piccadilly Circus and in Trafalgar Square in London, mm. and but also actually all around the world in touristy places. Yeah. For years they had human statues who stood there and pretended to be statues. Yes. They now have the people who look like Yoda, but they're floating. Oh, and people one's. who haven't seen it before are like, wow, how are they floating? Take a picture, give me a fiver. And then you see it every day because you work there and you're like, yeah, there's a pole up his bum. Yeah. Um, and you know he, So he's... how they do it?
3: You've ruined the magic. <laughs> You've
0: <laughs> ruined the magic. Apparently a lot of them are trafficked in. Oh, my God. There's people... There, not all of them. I'm, I mean, I'm generalising here. Of yeah, course, there yeah. are some people, I'm sure, who are hard-working, floating Yodas that are earning their crust quite legitimately. Yeah. Um, but there are some people there who are... They come to the country from places like Romania, and then they actually... There's a, like a ringleader, basically, who takes their passports away, brings them in every day on a minibus, and gives them their plot, and then takes the cash at the end of the day. And it's a massive black market thing. I, I
3: am... Astonished I know, it's a real this. thing. It's that a real is, thing. is outrageous.
0: But, but, but <laughs> have you given money to them? No. No, good. Because but...
3: I'm like, stop littering the streets with your performance <laughs> art.
0: <laughs> I, well, they say, I object to it because it's not performance art. I, oh, I yeah, mean, quite. I don't like the fact that people are being trafficked in 2016. That's not nice. But the thing that I object to most is that's not a performance. Mm. Get a guitar out, sing some Katie Tunstall. I'm in. What else have you got?
3: A cat licking device.
0: <laughs>
3: it is, uh, you put it in your mouth. Right like almost like a, a ca- human
0: puts it in their mouth a human
3: puts it in their mouth,
0: so they can lick a cat
3: so they can lick a cat right. it's like a gum shield, and then it's sort of like a brush that sticks out your mouth, and then you just like i'm um, sort of just brush my up again you brush your cat because apparently cats bond through grooming, right, so the idea is, is that you can bond with your cat because everybody knows cats are bastards mm. so this is a way for to hopefully make them less of a bastard because you're you're sort of interacting with them, you're bonding with them on this this sort of. Level of theirs,
0: but do you know another way to do that, Ollie? What? Food. Give the cat food.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's cheap. Listen, I'm it's not entertaining. Pre- the I'm cat's
0: pre- happy. You're happy.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to get some chickens.
0: A- they're going to be unhappy that their feet have been squashed into a biscuit. But everyone else is happy.
3: And like with my dog, right? I will just feed my dog, so it loves me. I'm not going to go and sniff his bum and do dog things mm. and like lick his face and all that kind of stuff to make him love me more. It's awful. It's horrible. I mean, I'm in- I'm all for embracing weird things, mm. but it's just. It's just a step too far. Okay. And I was looking into other weird products. Have you heard of Shindogu?
0: Yeah. Is that the Japanese trend for weird products?
3: Yeah. Useless inventions, basically, but they're perfectly logical on the face of it. So it's like um, there's an umbrella hat, Yes. for example, Uh and stuff like that. And uh, on BuzzFeed today, you can get, you can actually get this. This hmm. is KFC flavoured nail polish. Actually, if you think about it, ooh, yeah, maybe, like, why why not have another
0: function for your nail polish? Well, they claim it's finger licking good. Exactly. Let's see, once and for all. So
3: you get people around on the train sucking their fingers <laughs> after they've removed their cat licking device. Uh,
0: what else have you got for us?
3: EU referendum merchandise. OK. I went to the pub today. I haven't had a drink, even though I sound like it. The drink I avoided drinking mm-hmm. was uh, called Hogswallop, the referendum brew. Okay. Right. Where were you? Uh, I was in a pub near Finchhamstead. That's not a place.
0: Finchamstead? That's like a place rolled doll would invent. Google advance. it! That's just a random collection of consonants. It's continents. a place! Finchamstead.
3: Finchamstead. I'm probably not saying it right, but I that's where it. I was. Yeah. And it had a little uh, cartoon on the um, little card there. with uh, It said, in I- or out. And it was called the Referendum Brew. Uh Uh-huh. So I wondered, what else can you buy linked to the EU referendum? Yeah. there must be people profiteering off this. Mm. No? You can buy a T-shirt that says, Obama, Hawking, Branson, they're in, I'm in. It's a T-shirt for 20 quid. 20 quid's
0: a lot. That is a lot, yeah.
3: What do you think of that? Would you wear that? No. They also have another one that says, uh, Trump, Farage, Boris. And they're all crossed out. (laughs) Saying they're out, so I'm in. Or something like that.
0: I see, yeah, yeah. Did you visit some Brexiter merchandise websites as well, to be fair? Right. Yes, of course okay. I did. Yeah.
3: You can also buy I'm not being taken for a mug. Mug.
1: That's quite
3: fun. From the,
0: that's from the vote leave. Quite fun, yeah. 6
3: I don't know how much mugs are these days, but I that sounded I, like quite a lot of money. Well, I
0: don't want to sound politically biased on this matter, but I think that's a reasonable price for the mug. I think the in-campaign are overcharging for the T-shirt.
3: Yeah, 20 quid for a T-shirt is yeah. quite a lot, especially when you can buy the uh, Who Do EU Think You Are Kidding T-shirt, which is like done in Dad's Army Ooh. style. £15 was £18.50. <laughs> not surprised it's been reduced. It's pretty awful. Uh, and the other T-shirt that they have is EU, P-U. Oh, that's... Uh, I don't even get that. No. What's the P-U stand for? Like I a, mean,
0: it's pu- y- poo. Like a smell, yeah. P-U. It's, no one says that. I agree it's not great.
3: No. You should just say EU, shit.
0: I suppose what we're learning is that probably more branding consultants and marketing whiz kids are on the Remain side than the Brexit side.
3: But can I make a recommendation for everybody? On the Vote Leave side, right, what they're doing, they're running this competition on their on their website. And you can win, they claim, and I've checked it
0: all out, mm-hmm. you can win
3: 50 million quid.
0: No. Yeah? Wait, hear me out. Bullshit.
3: Not bullshit. They oh, what,
0: well, if we leave the EU? No, no, no. That's what we'll save. Nope.
3: No, well, yeah, that's their claim. So they say, oh, you're sa- this is what we pay our day or something. Yeah, yeah, so they yeah. say, why not give it away as a prize? But yeah. here's what you have to do to win the prize, right? You have to guess every single outcome for every single game in the EU Championship or the European Championships. So I signed up to the, uh, the page. Mm-hmm. And on the terms and conditions, it does actually say... Uh, voting in the eu referendum is not necessary for entry voting will not improve your chances of winning of course it fucking won't anyway but you've got to go on and you have to predict that's a bit
0: like you know on itv i've been watching a lot of itv daytime because i'm up at six in the morning with a baby yeah they say if you're watching on catch-up don't enter and i always think why (laughs) the competition's open all week yeah if i'm watching the tuesday show on the wednesday why can't i enter that's you should be more point. precise, Andy Peters. You should say, if you're watching on catch-up after June the 10th, don't enter.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. But I want people to enter yeah. because the more people that, obviously, the probability of somebody actually winning is incredibly slim because it is every game right up until the final. And in the group stages, you have to do, and this is my knowledge of football failing me, but you have to guess if it's a win, a draw or a lose, which team wins or loses and where they're going to be placed like first, second or third or fourth in the in the group, right? Yeah. So, it's impossible. I mean, like, I don't know what the odds are, but they're probably tr- trillion to one. What I want to happen is I want to up the chances of someone winning that 50 million pounds. Yeah, just whoever. <laughs> I just want to see the Leave campaign have to pay out 50 million quid and right. just go, oh, shit. They, haven't got, no, they, they haven't. The p- haven't got
0: 50 million quid. Of course they haven't. They haven't got 50 million quid. That's the point. Right. So
3: then what do they do? Okay. No one's going to win it. But what if they did?
0: Okay. Keep yeah. the dream alive, Ollie. I appreciate the 11 o'clock show era Ian Lee mischief that you're conducting around yeah, this. Yeah, I know. I think it'd be good. And but also, I, I just you... think it's not going to happen.
3: Well, no, of course it's not going to happen. But the closest you get, like the closest person to the actual result, wins 50 grand.
0: Right. so oh, 50 grand. Yeah, well, they've got that, haven't they've they? They've got that. Yeah. That's worth it. Well, no, 50 grand. 50 grand's 50 grand, isn't it? Boris will just pay you that.
3: Is that it? Yeah, well, yeah, but don't say it with, like, this loaded with disappointment.
0: No, no, I'm very happy that's it. God.
3: Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: Uh, Before we find out what your challenge is for next month, let's pause to thank our sponsors for the Zeitgeist this month, BBC Maestro.
3: Yes, BBC Maestro is a subscription-based streaming platform. It's got loads of amazing online courses that you can take part in, which are taught by some really incredible names.
0: Yeah, like Alan Moore, Julia Donaldson... It's a, an incredible repository of online video lessons from people who really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm really excited because Bill Lawrence is on there. Do you know who that is? I don't. Should I know this? He's a, Well, no, it's a geeky thing to know who he is, but okay. he's, a, he's a comedy writer, mm. and he's done an online course for BBC Maestro in writing comedy for television. He's the guy behind Scrubs and Ted Lasso. The thing about these courses is they're long. Like, he's it's not just... Guy talks to camera for half an hour and shares some tips that you'd get if you went to go and see them speaking at any literary event. He has done a bespoke twenty one lesson four and a half hour course on how to write comedy for TV, how to pitch, how to work with actors, how to find your voice. I mean they're proper deep dives. The one
3: that really stood out for me though is um Brian Cox teaching acting and mm. I, I don't think I've ever said this to you,
0: Ollie, but I remind you of brian cox you you're... I do have that steely determination
3: uh, yeah. I... <laughs> Let's say yeah.
0: But I have always wanted to learn
3: how to act properly. I don't necessarily want to be an actor, but I just quite like the idea of um, knowing how to act. And the thing about Brian Cox is, I mean, what a name to be teaching you something like acting.
0: Well, there'd be transferable skills, wouldn't there? Even if you have no intention of being an actor... You know the, the things that he's going to be talking about in that course. How to work with other actors, how to interpret your character, how to learn your lines. All of that stuff might be relevant for whatever you do for a job.
3: Yeah, I was thinking more of explaining to my other half that I did put the clothes away. She just thinks that I didn't, but then I could act the way that I
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, maybe you will make that pivot, Ollie. You know, there's there's always roles for the back half of the calf in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. You're saying I'd be... <laughs> A literal ass. Anyway, uh, if this appeals to you as it should, then use the code MAN to get 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription at bbcmaestro.com.
3: Yes, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code M A N to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro.
0: Now, if you subscribe to the show on iTunes or whatever podcatcher of your choice you use, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, But do you remember why? Do you remember why you clicked subscribe in the first place? What was it that hooked you in? Uh, Perhaps it was our artwork. Perhaps it was a guest we had on the show. Perhaps it was a friend recommending the show on social media. The chances are you don't even remember why you click subscribe, but we now have you. You are now a regular consumer of this show. We are part of your commute uh, or, heaven forbid, your bedtime routine. You are ours. Now, imagine that instead of uh, The Mon Man just being a, a podcast, we were an international brand. Imagine how powerful the science of getting you hooked in would be as a field. We would be stupid, wouldn't we, if we didn't work out from what we know from your behaviour, how we could influence future customers and indeed that is exactly what all the big stores and all the big supermarkets do. They populate your social media with their brands, they experiment with the layout of their stores to maximise their profitability and they actually employ psychologists as advisors who have studied this burgeoning field of consumer psychology. Uh, Well, Dr. Dimitri Sivrikos is a pioneer in this. He's one of the first in the UK to specialise in this academic study. Uh, He teaches at University College London. Uh, And Rhys Akhtar is also at UCL, currently completing his PhD on the subject. He works with major brands and organisations to improve their sales using behavioural science. And I was lucky enough to sit down with both of them. I started by asking Dimitri... How do department stores manipulate our shopping experience?
4: Big stores are the new contemporary theatres. So there's performance, there's light, there are people who are actors that are playing a role to entice you. There's a storytelling vehicle. And a part of that theatre is um, the, to start with is music. Um, music is one of the most incredible forces that can really influence your behaviour. To start with on ground floor level, on a, on a big mega store. Um, you'll have very fast tempo music that makes people walk a lot faster. Um, and the rationale for that is that uh, people are, are going there, they can buy something, but in reality, they will actually spend money on the second or the first floor. And, and also, the longer you actually spend in a store, the more likely you're actually going to walk out with more stuff that you were first intended so to buy. Very
2: common in supermarkets. So as Dimitri was saying, they try and... Control the flow of traffic so they'll get you in as fast as they can, and then what they'll do is try and slow you down. Mm. So, a good uh, technique that's often used is um, if you look at the size of the floor tiles. So, when you go into the supermarket, just have a look at how big are the floor tiles. Mm-hmm. Generally, they're bigger, and what we've seen is uh, in some research, the bigger the floor tile, the more slower you'll walk. And so, what this does is it slows down the traffic, more time browsing, more times meandering through the uh, the supermarket or the shop more likely to pick stuff up, impulse buy, and purchase more. Where is the best
0: place to put an impulse buy product in a store? Where is the place someone is most likely to pick up something that actually, frankly, they haven't come in for?
4: Uh, next to the essential stuff. I think you walk in, you're buying your veg, your milk, your bread, and along with them, you're looking for a treat because you've sort of, you're quite satisfied. You've been there, you've done your shopping, and then you deserve something to, to, to pick you up, to, to feel a lot better about yourself.
2: Another good place is the, the power aisle. At the very end of an aisle, you know, there's like a little kind of rectangle that just has a few products on the Mm. end, at the very end. The reason they're related to impulse buys is because there's only a few products there. So it's very hard to make comparisons. And because there's only a few products there, it's easier to make a decision. Because what we find is when you increase the number of choices someone has to make, the harder it is for them to make decisions. So if you just have three or four products, three different ranges of juice, fruit or whatever, you're more likely to say, I'll just pick that up. Because it's just easier to understand, to process and so on. And then what you're able to do is overlay... Different pricing strategies like a bar and get one free or so. Things that start to confuse and make people it's harder for them to really process the value of the purchase itself. Are they
0: fleecing you? Because you're you're right, the, the supermarkets seem to put their special offers on the end of the aisle. So sort of I've often thought if I'm in a really big superstore actually, I could do all my shopping just by taking my trolley down the centre of the store and just buying things from the end of the aisle yep. for exactly the thing you say, like less choice. I'll just get it quickly. Yep. Am I actually getting ripped off buying that? Well,
2: if you look, there's always, say, premium brands, right? It's never, say, Tesco uh, value orange juice. It's always, say, Tropicana or Innocent, right? Mm -hmm. Which is obviously £4 for, say, a litre or something along those lines. And this is actually really interesting when you start to look at eye-tracking studies. Products that are eye level are the ones that are going to be purchased the most because they're readily accessible. Whereas when you look at, say, the value products, they're always at the bottom. Um, And so what we see is with these power hours you put products that I say the most lucrative, the most valuable. Up at the top, they'll be more salient, more attractive, harder to compare. You can then start to make them even more attractive by them free deals and so on. And before you know it, you've purchased something quite expensive when you can get a relatively cheap comparison. You just go around the corner of the other aisle. Um, Something that you didn't even go in there straight away for.
0: So what's the psychology now where they start putting the bargain products right at the front of the store. I've noticed my local supermarket does that. It seems counterintuitive in a way. I mean, in most cases, supermarkets need to
4: also change the environment, because we get used to a particular layout. So in order to surprise us, they will will shift things around, will change positions, just exactly to succeed upon us walking around, picking up different things, looking for different items. So you, normally you will see, you will know where your bread is, where your milk is, where you know your noble staples are. But then if they are going to be shifted around, then you will have to walk around. And in that journey of walking around to pick up what you meant to be picking up you will you will actually buy different things and also We've got to think that going to a supermarket or shopping, uh, you're not there only to do that shop. People use shopping these days to socialise. They actually use it, especially in the older generations. That's an excuse for them to go out and have a bit of an interaction with sales assistants, uh, with uh, people who might be working there. So there's a routine. There's a routine that people enjoy doing. So supermarkets are playing
2: upon that. So the Apple Store is the archetype of a future of, say, consumer retail, because when we look at first how the store is kind of organized and what they offer in terms of these community services you can have free workshops free uh, say lectures by artists that use their products and so on it's all ways of socializing other people and that's all well and good but what we see is actually it's a way of say building a brand identity a community um, of loyal apple fanboys or fangirls and so it's more than just going to purchase something it's about belonging to a tribe and in terms of kind of how they lay out their products. Um, I think Apple Store is pretty unique in that they have relatively few products on offer, right? And it's all interactive. The computers, say the MacBooks, whatever, they're always at an angle, I believe, of like around 100 degrees. So if you're looking at it, it's uncomfortable just to look at the computer. You have to touch it to bend the screen back and then to start interacting with it.
0: Now, that's really interesting because I had that exact experience, not at an Apple store, but at the Hertfordshire County show last weekend <laughs> <laughs> I um, at an olive bar. Okay. Um, I went to a Greek olive bar. Uh, and they had, you know, they had vine leaves and they had hummus and they had chili olives and whatever, and I just wanted some black olives. But the guy who worked there, he was very charming. He said, try this one, try that one, try this one. And I I really had to fight very hard to adamantly say, no, I've come here for the black olives and go away with my tub full of black olives because I could easily see that he, he was, you know, as all good market traders would be, trying to influence me to, to upscale and, and spend more. But now you've mentioned the touch, Mm. it was that he was touching me. He was giving me toothpicks to pick up the olives. He was giving me a bowl to put the pips in. And actually that personal connection is the thing that made me feel guilty about it. I knew what I wanted. Uh, It's it's called the
4: endowment effect. The more likely that you actually touch something, the the likelihood of purchasing increases by 30%. So, And then again, of course, we have the reciprocity effect, where when you've been given a present you're more likely to feel guilty about receiving um, a taster or receiving a free good, so you will be wanting to buy something. So you've had so many free olives, say, for instance, so you will feel, I feel quite guilty, I've bought quite a lot of stuff, I ate a lot of stuff, I must buy something else in return. The whole idea, the strategy behind sampling is is that. It's not actually to try a new product, it's to entice you to feel guilty for trying something in advance and you have to buy it afterwards.
0: And that's kind of the John Lewis model, isn't it? You know, the customer service of, you know, we're impartial and we're partners and we'll talk Mm -hmm. you through all the products and we'll be unaffiliated is that you know the, the nice man in a suit has spent 20 minutes with you and you feel like well I could get this vacuum cleaner for 20 pounds cheaper on Amazon but I owe it to this yeah, guy
4: absolutely and and I think then I think the John Lewis paradigm is unique because you walk in there and you feel you're spending your money but you see where your money goes to you see people fighting for it you see people actually are working for for that so it's not on one big corporate machine that you feel well I don't want to make them any richer you actually see the partners being around so you feel a lot more um, sort of inclined to to spend money there because you know you're supporting other sales assistants or you're supporting the people in the economy so the economy then is becoming a lot more visible and people are happy to do so and especially we've seen that happening quite a lot during the recession john lewis did incredibly well and one of the main reasons is that i think their own structure is about supporting the economy whereas other brands that only been known for being corporate monsters they've missed out because people are changing. People are looking for communities, uh, for tribes, and uh, looking to support local economies. Um, and John Lewis epitomises that.
0: And sometimes in department stores, I've noticed it is actually quite difficult to find the tills. And I have begin to wonder whether that's deliberate too. Is it supposed to to make it so that I spend longer in there like in a Las Vegas casino trying to find my way to the exit. <laughs> yes, I know. So uh, the, a
4: tail symbolises a completion. It's almost sort of, you know, um, so encasing to um, sort of, you know, someone who is running the finishing line. You can't do that too early because they will see it and will think, oh, well, actually, I must go. Whereas if, again, if it becomes a part of the hunt, trying to find it, you spend a lot more time and you're not reminded of the very fact that you have to pay for these things. And especially using credit cards, people still don't know how much they're spending. It's not money. It's not real money. You don't actually see it. So if you don't have a reminder that is related to money, to a bill, to something at the very end that you actually have to pay, you're continuously walking in there, picking up things into your basket and paying with your own plastic money that really you don't consider as, as, as
0: real money so then you've got the visual appearance of things you've got sound what about smell one of the things that comes up a lot as i I wonder if it's a myth is this business about pumping out the smell of freshly baked bread Hmm. uh they say that about subway i mean they are baking bread at subway so that's a real smell isn't it
2: supermarkets is uh is kind of the example used here because they mostly bake all their bread in the morning yeah there's the bakery is always pumping out a smell The research has shown that when you do pump out a smell, that's congruent with, say, the the product that you're trying to sell, it does increase people's likelihood to to buy.
4: And I think people should sort of start realising it's not the scent per se that convinces someone to purchase something. It's the association that people might have. Mm. So they're trying to to pump a scent that has a strong association with, say, summertime. So sort of, you know, coconut oil or uh, or palm trees or, you know, sort of, you know, the usual smells that you normally have when you're going on a summer holiday, for instance. Who's doing that? A lot of travel agents, for instance. They're, they're not. Actually pu- Yeah, they're pumping up, you know, sort of, you know, almost um, suntan lotion smell. There's a particular smell about suntan okay, lotion. You're, really, you're being serious here? Yes, yes. That's very subtle. It's very subtle because, I mean, with all of these non-visual atmospherics, it's a sound and scent, you don't detect them. It's something really pleasant. So when you walk in there and you almost smell, you know, the sand and, you know, the, the suntan ocean. You almost travel into that sort of environment. So if it is the likelihood you're in a dilemma to purchase will hold it from there or not, you're more likely to be put in a position that, "Hmm, that smells really nice, that's a great memory, you're becoming a lot more open, you know risk is disappearing, you will actually purchase something. There's no magic scent as such, but they rely upon the association that individuals have with certain scents. Um, For instance a lot of estate agents, when they're selling houses, they will actually have baked cookie smells. So something to indicate a housewarming um, sort of, you know, environment that, you know, someone is baking something in the kitchen as well. Otherwise, they will have a very cold clinical environment they can't have too much personal information because you don't want to buy someone else's home but they will need some sense and normally i think in america it's cookies and in the uk they actually have bready stuff or they've baked something in there
0: to to have that association okay so if, if you're listening to this and you run your own shop an independent store let's say it's a, a fashion store what scent should you be pumping out as people walk into the door because baked bread isn't going to cut it is it no
4: the best place for that sort of thing is uh, Victoria's Secrets. It's an amazing no excuse to be going to Victoria's Secret. Any excuse. Uh, so you know they actually spray different floors with different aromas. So the lower ground floor, which is for smaller uh, teenagers, is very fruity, is very bubblegum based, just mm. to, to indicate, you know, or recognize a scent that is familiar with them. And then as you walk up to more premium floors, it's becoming a lot more luxurious. So they have a lot of essential oils, and they actually they have their own Victoria's Secret's perfume. And what they do with that perfume, Victoria's Secret has been a pioneer. They will spray goods uh, that. That, you know you order from the web they've actually realized that for individuals for customers that they've been to victoria secrets and they've shopped something when they receive through the post something that was sent it the likelihood of them repurchasing something increases by sixty percent, whereas yeah. for those visitors who have actually been to Victoria's Secrets but they've received via the post something that has not been sent it, loyalty only increases by ten percent. <laughs> so what happens is again, it's not the scent per se, but when people actually have been to Victoria's Secrets, they know the environment, they've been already accustomed to a scent. When they walk back and they receive something with the same scent, that association starts
0: up again. But online, uh, Rhys, you can't do a lot of the stuff we're talking about. You no. can't really do music because irritates people you can of course organize how things look but is it more about a gentle nudge you don't want to piss people off
2: it's much more about understanding or brands trying to understand who you are as an individual or as a consumer and then trying to create a personalized experience which is much more based on say subtle nudges through the information that you're presented this is done quite quite systematically and actually um it's very psychological in from the uh a field of psychology called psychometrics which is all about measuring Uh, certain behaviours, traits and and values and so on. And with all the information, the online footprint that we leave, we have this reputation that is easily quantifiable, it's easily modelled, and what we can do is build uh, really interesting predictive uh, models around what information should we present you with, aka what is the best advert we can show you that is going to have the most effect on you or increase your intentions to buy the product.
0: So when you say you have reputational models, is this saying... Uh, someone's gone to the F1 website and got
2: a cookie, so they're more likely
0: to be interested in a book about sports cars.
2: Basically, yes. That's kind of the sh- short version. Um, what we know is from uh, around 50 years' worth of uh, psychological research is that our values and our personality traits are highly predictive of all sorts of lifestyle outcomes, uh, our likelihoods to perform well at work, and, uh, the f- types of foods we'll choose to buy, our, uh, whether we're likely to um, engage in, say, risky behaviour, like smoking, drinking, and thrill-seeking, all those kind of uh, activities. And so as we feed social media more and more uh, detailed information about ourselves, who who we like, who we don't like, and so on, we're able to get a really interesting profile of of a consumer. So if I know you have liked um, Gillette, Shavers, or whatever, and I'm connected to you on Facebook, because we already share a connection, and based on the social theory that I like you, or I'm a friend with you on Facebook because we have similar interests, Mm -hmm. Gillette will then position me an advert because they know if you like it, I'm most likely to to like it as well. And the the other thing is just, also we
4: have to remind ourselves of some of the basics. Constantly on a day-to-day basis, we're making a number of decisions. Our brains are tired. We've got, you know, sort of, you know, we exhausted ourselves. When you are in front of a dilemma, you're looking for information. You're looking for quick information to inform you that you're making a rational decision, that you're feeling you have enough information to feel that this is a good bargain. I'm familiar with something, and then I'm going to be purchasing something. So when you know exposure has come through Facebook or other social media, it doesn't necessarily mean they will brainwash you to buy something. It doesn't work like that. But it creates a network of information, of awareness. So the more you're exposed to something, the more likely it is that sort of option to be available to you. So in front of a dilemma between Gillette and another competitor, because you've been overexposed to Gillette, you're more likely to feel trust you're likely to feel that you actually know the product and you'll go, well, I'm not sure. Well, I've known that. I know my friends are using it. So there's a network of information that's been already created for you and you fall to actually buy it. So Facebook... It doesn't necessarily brainwash you. You don't follow something because your friend has done it, but it creates a platform or a network of trust that you, you fall into and makes your decisions
2: a lot easier.
0: Okay, so I'm out today. I walk into a store. How do I stop myself from being manipulated? How do I know that I'm just going to buy the stuff that I intend to go in there and buy?
2: Don't be stressed and don't be hungry. When we're stressed, we're more likely to uh, make a rational, biased decisions. So we use heuristics, mental shortcuts. So just be relaxed, which is easier said than done, I get Um, But also, don't be hungry, because when we so this is a classic case for supermarkets, when you're hungry, you have poor uh, inhibition control, you're more likely to make more impulse decisions. Our cognitive load increases, we find it even more difficult to uh, process and manage different pieces of information. So when we're being bombarded by different advertisements, different brands, different kind of promotions and so on, we're more likely just to make reactionary decisions.
4: Go at a time where you are on your own, don't go at um time. times that people are around you because you imitate them. If you see someone with purchasing a lot of things, you actually have to do the same thing. So go at a time in a supermarket that you're in your own and you're not actually influenced. Late at night is a lot easier because the lights, because they're trying to save energy, the lights are a lot dimmer so you're not actually influenced by the, the performance in the theatre that a store may have. Also make a commitment to yourself that uh, set a budget so I will only spend something like this because we're more likely, if we've made a commitment in advance we will more likely to, to actually support it. And, and the third party use a combination between online and physical shopping never do one or the other because then you if you only choose one retailer then you're not being savvy enough because you will always you will might be buy, you know offers from them but you will miss out on something else be disloyal and and shop around
0: okay final question just something that i've noticed has come to the uk in the past few years been really big in america but now is here is black friday all these clever things we've talked about to do with psychology, that just comes down to price, doesn't it? Or is there a psychological trick to that as well? Mm, I mean, Black Friday is just, is, to be honest with you,
4: is evolutionary psychology. It's, it's fighting for resources. And this is how sales work. You walk in there and you're in a competitive environment that you have to fight and satisfy. You need to actually hunt a bargain. That bargain is not price related. Price is you're primed or you want to buy a good purchase, but in reality, who needs two or three flat screen TVs? Nobody does. However, in a competitive environment where you actually have in your place to fight for a good or a service you will go crazy. And we've seen horrendous examples of violence or people actually fighting over goods that actually they don't even use afterwards. There's a fantastic study that actually proved that most people that they buy goods from Black Fridays, they don't actually use them.
2: Uh, When we make decisions, we're not motivated by gains. We're motivated by reducing our losses. And so when we see, say, Black Friday, people feel fearful. They feel like they're going to lose out on a fantastic deal, not because they want to gain a great TV. It's oh, there's going to be this TV that's going to be 50% off, I've got to have it because I'm going to miss out on this amazing opportunity. It just shows that although we can be rational, informed consumers, there is this element to us where we are uh, predisposed maybe to be somewhat irrational and can be um, easily swayed by panic and hysteria.
0: I feel like I'm just being played by the man now. <laughs> Coming up next, your sex questions. But first, this bit. The bit where I try and influence your consumer behaviour to get you to spend some money with me and support our show. If you enjoy this show, why not buy us a beer to say thanks? Just visit UK and click Beer Money. This week's donors are Alexi, Colin, Scott, Peter, Charlie, uh, you sent us the most generous contribution of the week. Thank you. Uh, James and Damien, who followed Tony's lead from last week and transferred to us all the money he had left over on a prepaid credit card. Damien, thank you for your 65 pence. Uh, That is still money. And with that, we can apparently buy a copy of the Daily Mail. I just Googled exactly what costs 65p, and it's that, apparently. Uh, So that's your fault. Uh, Have you contributed yet? Go on. Visit modernman.co.uk and click beer money. Thanks. Okay, buckle up. It is time for the foxhole. Alex Fox is here. Hello, Alex.
1: How did you not say fuckle up?
0: Because I was laying the path for you, and you walked right into my fuckle trap.
1: (laughs) Fuckle trap. Hashtag fuckle trap. What kind of animal gets stuck in a fuckle trap? It's a fox, isn't it? It's a
0: goddamn fox. What have you been up to this week?
1: Uh, I have been chatting to people who like to pretend to be pets as part of their sex lives at an event called Wagging Tails Wet Noses.
0: And uh, what did they tell you about this uh, perfectly ordinary sexual quirk?
1: Well, it's a kind of a munch, wagging tails, wet noses. Do you know what a munch is? No. A munch is a get-together of like-minded people who are into a particular fetish, but outside of a sex club context. So it's somewhere you'd go to chat to people who were, say, into S&M or pet play or rubber or whatnot. But over Um, a
0: pink wafer biscuit and a cup of tea. Yeah,
1: over a cuppa rather than over a spanking bench.
0: What did people tell you about their pet fetish?
1: I discovered so much, actually. It was, it was really, really great to be in a context where you could have a proper conversation about things without having to fight over um, bass beats and the, and the sound of people's arse cheeks being slapped. I did learn that there are two sets of personas. There's these cute kind of pets, people who pretend to be like little kitties and sweet little puppies. And then there are people who define as a a group of animals known as primals. And for them, the role playing is more about getting in touch with their animal instincts. And they might say, pretend to be a wolf and and, and growl and and, and really um, maybe scratch and, and roll around in the bedroom. So there's those two distinct Categories.
0: It's always dogs, cats, wolves.
1: Not always. Is it uh, ever goldfish? The- I asked that very question for once. We're on the level, Ollie. Uh, I met one guy who likes to pretend to be a donkey. There was a girl who liked to pretend to be a baby deer. And she she actually had a a variety of uh, animal personas. And she said uh, the the doe persona, this deer persona, um, really liked to be in open spaces and Mm. and not held back. So when she was feeling like a frolicking deer, she'd have sex in fields.
0: Here's a question from Kim, who says, uh, how do you clean... The dead labia skin that gets encrusted on non-waterproof sex toys, like fancy cock rings, off without damaging them. Yep, I really did just ask that. How do you clean the dead labia skin that gets encrusted on your sex toys off?
1: I try to be very open-minded, non-shaming and accepting on this show, but I do have to state on this rare occasion, Kim, you are fricking grim. That is minging. For it
0: happening or for sharing
1: it? For letting your sex toy get that disgustingly encrusted and dirty. Okay,
0: so there's a public information role here. Clean your sex pubic toys. Public information.
1: It's used. There's a pubic information role. Let's start off with the fact that Kim asserts that this is labia skin that's that's clogging up her cock ring. Uh, is very very unlikely to be labia skin. Oh. Um, you don't shed that much genital skin that it's going to start building up and, and, and blocking blocking your, the, the grooves on your rabbit or whatnot. So
0: what do you think it is?
1: Uh, I reckon it's prob- probably going to be a mixture of natural vaginal secretions yes. and sperm and probably lubricant if they're using lube yeah. as well.
0: Crusty lube is what I would have assumed.
1: It's really, really common for sex toys to get mucky after mm. you've got mucky with them. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if your sex toys are looking a bit claggy gla- and clammy and and sticky after a session don't worry about that nothing wrong with it but you do need to clean them
0: Are, are sex toys all designed now so that they can be easily washed
1: Upmarket ones are generally designed to be as easy to clean as possible. Mm-hmm. They're designed to be smooth so that there are there aren't grooves or nooks or crannies where gunk can get stuck mm-hmm. and and breed bacteria, which can can be dangerous. You can actually get a urinary tract infection from bacteria that has gathered on a on a on a dirty sex toy. So it's it is really important to keep them clean. And there are also some really upmarket sex toys actually include. Their own um, sterilising system. Some of them actually use light rays within uh, their storage canister to to um, to sanitise them after use. How you wash your sex toy should depend on what it's made of, and also if it's if it's motorised at all. It should state on the packet whether it's waterproof and submersible or just splash proof Uh, if it's submersible it's usually great because you can take it in the bath or the shower if it's just splash proof then you'll just want to wipe that or run it under the tap briefly I should point out it's totally fine to leave your sex toys overnight, I'm not suggesting that people um, have a wonderful playtime with each other and then run straight to the bathroom to get the scrubbing brush out, Uh, it's fine to leave them on the bedside table or whatnot overnight but you don't want to leave them festering there for days and days. Relating to this specific issue then of keeping a Cochrane clean, I would recommend a toy cleaning spray or wipes. Um, There's a few that you can get on the market but Pure, spelled P-J-U-R, do a really good one called Pure Med. It's just a spritz that Mm -hmm. you can spray on and then wipe off with a lint-free cloth. Mm -hmm. Um, You can put certain toys as well in the dishwasher. Pop them in the top rack of the dishwasher. If they're made from uh, certain metals, check on the box or the packet that they come in. Uh, Or glass or... uh, Silicone toys are A OK to pop in the dishwasher as well.
0: There's another issue that strikes me that probably wouldn't occur to you because you have no shame, which is for the people. I listening, do have some shame. <laughs> you have a smaller degree of shame than you others.
1: You need a microscope to see it.
0: But. Is that some people listening to this, however open minded they might be, they might think I don't want to leave my sex toy out on display for my parents and neighbours to see, or obviously in some cases, for my partner to see. Now for those people. Once they've washed it off after a session, presumably the best thing to do is leave it to dry naturally. But where do you leave it? If you keep it in the cupboard, if you keep it under the bed, presumably then it can attract dust and stuff like that.
1: You can dry certain sex toys with a hairdryer. Give them a quick blast with a love hairdryer. Love it,
0: love it. After <laughs> a session with a sex toy, <laughs> just blow dry it off.
1: Uh, you asked me about storage mm. uh, to keep them away from prying eyes and you also want to keep your sex toys in a place where they're not going to be exposed to sunlight because that can damage them, as well as um, making them easy to spot by parents, children or pets. Mm. Also, you want to keep them away from anywhere that's, too, that's going to gather too much fluff because if they get little, little bits of lint on them and in particular so jelly and and, and yeah. silicone toys can attract dust. Yeah. You don't want dust up your foof. No. Although it's been so long since I've been laid, I think I do have dust <laughs> up my foof at the moment.
0: Um, for the chaps listening, if you have a male masturbatory aid yeah. uh, that you stick your wanger into...
1: Like a fleshlight.
0: Yeah. That's soft and jelly, isn't it? So, the, and, and if especially if it's got lubricant in it, and let's be honest, semen... Cleaning that is a bit more of a regime, isn't it? Well, I,
1: those cyber skin kind of real feel toys do require very specific cleaning. What do you do with them? Um, mo- some of them are designed to actually turn inside out, so that once you've once you've shot your load, you can uh, run it down the down the drain afterwards.
0: Under a tap or something. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. and then you'll re- you really want to air dry those, so you might you, you need to leave them somewhere that people can't see. see I possibly. think that's
0: the issue. You see, air but, drying, but in a place you know that people can't see it.
1: Well, I'll have to no t- put it on the washing line. I, I do actually have a tip for that in a second please but, do um while we're talking fleshlights or, or anything made out of that site that kind of real feel cyber skin material yeah. um you'll need to powder that now and again uh, to actually maintain that feeling, you can use powdered cornstarch or some of those toys actually come with a, with a special sachet of kind of rejuvenating magical powder. Do not use baby powder. It's very, very bad for your bits if you're thrusting your todger into a essentially a, a squidgy canister full of baby powder.
0: And air drying, you said you had a tip?
1: Well, a friend of mine who runs a sex store actually gave me a brilliant tip for uh, a way of storing all of your sex toys in a way that you can see them very easily when you want to, but they don't take up much space and they're away from prying eyes. You know those clear. Uh... Suddenly,
0: this feels like QVC. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know those clear hanging shoe racks that you can get that yeah. look they're like lots of little clear, uh, trans- mm. lots of little transparent pockets on a hanger? You can actually use those and put them in your wardrobe. So just hang them behind a coat or something. Uh, and then when you're feeling like getting a bit frisky, you can just take them off the railing. But until then, they're stored away safely.
0: Particularly good for those who have a foot fetish and fancy a fiddle.
1: Combined. Yeah. Two in one. Two in
0: one. Great tip. As ever, if you have a question for Alex Fox that is sex or sexuality related, Alex, what should people do?
1: Head over to the website, which is with modernmans.co.uk. Click on feedback and send your wonderings, your musings and your wafflings my way.
0: See you next week. And with that, we are very nearly done. I just have my weekly peerage to bestow. Uh, Steve has been in touch to say, um, why is it that we allow people to become ambassadors? Uh, should they not be man ambassadors? Uh, Steve, that is a great idea. Therefore, I am pleased to appoint Pete from Hamlin in Germany as our Pied Piper man ambassador. Uh, if you would like to be the man ambassador for your town or district, all you need to do is post a review of the show the iTunes page of your nation uh, Right, music time. Our theme is by Django Django. They've got a couple of albums out that you should definitely acquire and coming next is our featured record of the week. It's by Welsh songwriter The Anchoress The track is called Doesn't Kill You and it's out now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill and for the season finale we'll see you next Tuesday
2: what
3: Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger I know I've been much procrastinator That's all I know It's
0: my narcissist spirit